your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. There we go, delay, turn off the delay. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. In the studio with me, not one political science, but another political science professor, Dr. Keith Knudsen's in here to talk about whatever it is we want to talk about. Um, I usually have the UW lacrosse political science professor in here, Dr. Anthony Tregoski. I don't know if you've met him, but uh, he's then you'll have to get close if you can. But he uh, vacation North Carolina, him and his wife. They get out to the to the ocean, which you know they're excited, to, and then his wife immediately gets stung by a jellyfish. So, Ouch. so could have been here, Trigoski. You could have been in here, being safe and sound in the studio. No jellyfish in here, but uh, you had to take a vacation out to that ocean. That, it's a dangerous place. Uh, so I don't know if he had to pee on his wife because I think if you pee on a jellyfish sting, uh, apparently that's a that's not true. So I was reading about, I was reading the sub comments, apparently on the Facebook post, apparently that's not true if you pee on a jellyfish thing. Well, it's good that you're revealing untruths today, Rick. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we're going to take out all the facts. Um, all right. So we can get up into a bunch of stuff, but I thought the most important news here is we're, we're a little over a month away from the world ending. I don't know if you knew this. I, I didn't know it's kind this. of a big deal. So if you have plans for September 24th, uh, well, I, sh- I should say not a year. Uh, September 24th, 2182. 2182. Oh, the, the, the world is going to end in 2182. Yeah, 2182. I, miss, I misspoke. Uh, uh, there's an asteroid coming. So how how the the space people <laughs> can figure that out? Like, man, they got... The, the, I mean, I, obviously they have some pretty powerful telescopes, but to predict that this thing is on a trajectory... To hit the Earth in 160 years. Are you assuming there are people in space, uh, or are you talking about? Well, we're just we're we're calculating. We've we've oh, spotted uh, this. Our, our humans on Earth are calculating yeah, about what's going on in outer space. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if like I don't know if Bezos was up there the other day, and he's just like he's got you know some super telescope that he was up there checking it out, but. Yeah, I, we're we have uh, like NASA people here checking it out, and oh, they've okay. predicted now. I feel like that's that's a long shot. Twenty twenty one eighty two is a long time away. To predict, um, it's a, quite the prediction. But an asteroid, so make your plans now. I was thinking you were saying it was this year, and, and I thought, my, my, Rick, my birthday is September twenty fifth, and I would have been oh. gravely disappointed. To have missed my seventieth birthday, <laughs> it would have been that would have been a if tough I, one. If I could realize that's what I missed after. I also, missed kind of what a way to go out, right? Like just right before your birthday. I mean, just the asteroid party. Not exactly. Have, no, no, it's not into it. So you'd rather uh, we'll just live in peril with the half the world on fire right now and the other half underwater, and we'll just we'll just power through through that. Perhaps we should be uh, discussing immediate concerns. <laughs> right, yeah, these concerns. I don't know. It seems pretty. Seems like a pretty big deal, the, the idea that we're, uh, we're, we're checking out the trajectory of an asteroid that's going to hit us in 140 years. 608-785-7914. Uh, we did have that Mayan calendar thing, you know, what, whatever year that was, the world was supposed to end. The world's always supposed to end on these things, and then it just never has. Y2K, the world was going to end. Remember that? 
Well, I, I think it's still confirmable. You should actually get uh, uh, an actual scientist, not a political scientist, for this question. No, but, but that's the whole point. I bring you in, in here ironically to talk about non-political issues. Thank you, Rick. That's um, what we're doing. Um, you've, you're opening up new avenues for me. Um, <laughs> didn't the dinosaur age end with an asteroid hitting the planet? And uh, 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 No, there was no dinosaurs. Uh, God created the world. and in man's you know i don't know if you knew this <laughs> yeah the big bang well they also Rick, i'm actually looking forward to discussing politics very soon <laughs> the big bang theory too right like that's kind of like it's not really an asteroid but that's how everything started the big bang theory we could go there you really do need to get a physicist <laughs> and maybe so maybe other sorts of uh, assistance um so also are you going to Irish Fest or Ashley for the Arts? If you could, if you, you check out the lineup for Ashley for the Arts in Arcadia, Keith, would you, would you, if somebody, if it was like in your backyard, would you kind of go, would you stroll over there? What would it take for you to go see Jefferson Starship, Foreigner, some of these? I feel like these were right in your wheelhouse back in the day. Back in the day, but uh, I'm going to be 70 September 25th, and it looks like I'm going to make it now. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, be, having become as, uh, my age, uh, my idea of a good concert is the Lacrosse Symphony Orchestra. Okay. So not Foreigner. But back in the day, Foreigner, that would have been right up your alley? Jefferson sure. Starship? Sure. I'm, I'm aware of these uh, groups. Do you, do you see these guys still playing and go, oh boy, that can't be good? Or awesome, I'm glad, because you're still doing it. You're still, uh, you're still working, <laughs> you know? So you guys are in the same boat, only you're doing a little bit different work than they are. Yeah, uh, you know, as I recall, uh, uh, these groups, they move around the stage a lot. And I, I move around in the classroom. Do you? Yeah, sure. You're still, you're still out there? I mean, you were playing tennis this morning, you said. so. I was. It's not like you, uh, you're you not out there. How, how did that go, by the way? Did you, did um, you win you know, friendly game? Uh, I, I love hitting the tennis ball. I have for, I don't know, almost half a century now, and it was a great time. So there, there is a tennis community here. What do you, guys, what do you think of the facility that's going did you play at the facility just uh, at green island ice arena do you play over there or what, what do you I, think I, of the building that's i've going played there? there once uh, they're beautiful courts and uh, there are plans for an indoor facility and i think lacrosse uh very much uh, would make good use of uh an indoor facility so i'm all for that and i hope uh, we can uh, i think there's some fundraising going on and i've made my you know pathetically small contribution to <laughs> my own tennis interests, but uh, um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of discussion about it, and hopefully it'll come through. Because every time I talk about the fact that we're going to build this giant tennis facility, and UWL, Aquinas, and other entities are involved in contributing to this, it's not like just the city is building it for... You sure. Know. Uh, Winona has an indoor facility, and the, the uh, uh, educational institutions with tennis teams, um, their, their uh, logos are in the... Uh, um, the tennis court area, and uh, so it's a good way to engage in uh, community-oriented uh, tennis activity. My argument, though, is that we could, uh, instead of having all of them tennis courts, just make two of them sand volleyball courts. Uh, s- Twelve people can play at a time on, on volleyball courts and only four on a tennis court, so the balance there. And then just to have them, I think maybe they can convert to pickleball courts, too, as well. I'm not really sure. 
Um, I've, I've seen that at the indoor facility in Winona, yeah. at Winona. Yeah. But still, just like the the balance, like can we just diversify it a little bit? Just put some sand. Just selfishly, I want sand volleyball indoor sand volleyball courts. That's what. It's hard. I, I, I wish you luck on that project. <laughs> it's hard on on the knees to play on these hard courts, as you probably you probably know. It's <laughs> if, if, once you hit seventy, you gotta watch out those knees. Um, all right. That's Keith Knudsen. He's the Viterbo political science professor. I'm not even sure if I introduced you properly, but there he is. Uh, Brad's got a dude in news. We'll be back. Uh, see w- what other nonsense we can make Keith uncomfortable talking about. All right. Welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Keith Knudsen, Viterbo University political science professor in here we're talking about asteroids and but we're, we'll get into some politics talk i'm on ron kind's ball ballotpedia page uh and i'm seeing how far we can scroll down we can't scroll down to 1996 or seven uh so there's there's no no ability to to easily tell what years ron kind had ron kind the third congressional district our u.s congressman here uh, had like really close races aside from Derek Van Orden just just this last election. Yeah, and, and three uh, uh, kind defeated Van Orden by three percentage points. Um, you said ten thousand total votes or thereabouts. Just about, just a little over. Um, yep. And the third congressional district is considered a, a, a swing district, despite the fact that Kind held the seat for a quarter of a century. Um, uh, so they were relatively close elections, and this meant that Ron Kind. Uh, played, uh, played. He acted the role with great integrity, in my estimation, uh, a, a moderate Democrat, and uh, uh, the moderation allowed him to uh, win some number of swing votes in this congressional district. We, we, ex- and I think the proof is in the pudding for Ron Kind. He represented this district for a quarter of a century, um, and uh, it's not uh, uh, intended to be just a district for a. a Democrat. So Ron Kind, uh, uh, one might say, played his cards uh, quite uh, effectively. Uh, and and uh, I think he did good service for the citizens of this district, both Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, I always thought it was so it, kind of diving into congressional districts and in how, if we want to talk about the state being gerrymandered, the, I always thought the third congressional district here was gerrymandered for Democrats because Ron kind had always won. And then in studying this out and kind of getting a better knowledge of how everything is, the third congressional district's the only one that is sort of up for grabs in a state, right? Like it, there's, there aren't any other districts. The, the rest are like handed over to Republicans or, or conceded to Democrats uh, for the most part. Uh, but it's, it'll be interesting to see how this changes it when we draw redis, uh, district lines. Will the district reach over and grab point, or will it reach up well, and grab Well, I think, it's, I think Stevens Point is in the 3rd Congressional District. Right, but will it the next will time... It, will it retain because, point? Because it's so, like, it's so ridiculous to be way, like to kind of just wiggle your way over there and grab... Well, I haven't uh, calculated the miles of Stevens Point from La Crosse compared to... Two and a half uh, hours. New Richmond to La Crosse. I've actually driven to New Richmond, and uh, that's a pretty long haul. So this is a big district. Right, um, five hours across. Uh, the five hours must be north and south. Ron Kahn was saying, yeah, it's like a five-hour. Yeah, and it's two and a half hours the point from here because yeah. I drive that all the time when I go home to Appleton. Oh, that's so. your home. Oh, oh, that's, that's and your I went to area. Stevens Point so, for college. So, Rick, uh, another element of the allegiances of voters in these congressional districts 
sometimes even if they're not gerrymandered, there are areas that are predominantly uh, uh, people, the citizens are identifying with one party or the other. Sure. Gerrymandering um, extends a party advantage for one party versus the other by, I'm going to say, overly engineering the people who are in the district. Modern computer technology has provided uh, the legislatures, and the Constitution, of course, uh, gives legislatures the right to uh, the obligation, the job of uh, uh, doing the district lines. Governor Evers has put together a nonpartisan commission, and they have already drawn district lines, and uh, they could be um, uh, adapted. Uh, the, the Republicans in control of the state legislature uh, have, uh, already, uh, Robin Voss has already said no. So they're going to do their own lines, and what kind of uh, political compromise is going to be engaged in to finally get some district lines, and will we get them? Um, of course, the midterm election um, is coming up in uh, about a year away. Mm-hmm. Uh, can our governing apparatus uh, get the job done? And do actors actually want to get the job done? The jobs, that, the, the, the lines as they exist now give an even further advantage to the Republicans who drew them back in 2011. So they're probably not going to be in any big hurry to actually get the job done. Um, if, if they can't get the job done, do we go with the, through with an election with the old lines? Uh, uh, there has to be a point when the lines are drawn and in place so that the whole apparatus for the election can be set up. What, right. What's going to be your district? And, uh, 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 I, I think it's got to be done fairly early next year. I mean, it, it needs to be done before the election because, you know, well, these people course. would like to campaign in their district. Well, so it's got to be done long before the election. But, but when you're looking at the map, I mean, and it's hard to see because, the, the, of course, the map I pick has got just the, the colors are all the same. And it is this guy about to turn 70, I don't know if you can see that. So but long, you know, that, you know that, the, that's a long way f- away from but, me. But you know I haven't gone colorblind yet, though, Rick. But you know the map. Like, So if you're in, in the third congressional... There's just this big gap right here that it doesn't grab, and then it reaches over like a bicep and grabs Stevens Point. So that, that, and it leaves that gap in between your arm and your, your so forearm. So that map you're looking at, and if you could give it to your viewers, that would be great. But that, the, the term gerrymander comes from uh, the first decade of the 19th century. Eldridge Jerry, a guy who sound, signed either the Constitution or the Declaration. Uh, Is his uh, name Jerry or Gary? I thought it was Gary. Isn't it Gary or something like um, that? Uh, Eldridge, Gary, Jerry. Because you, we you, should be saying gerrymandering. Uh, uh, Rick, you say tomato and I say tomato. Um, <laughs> I, I argue with William Garcia about this, whether we should be saying okay, Jerry. Okay, you can Gary. go potato and I'll go potato. <laughs> you, you know, I don't, I don't care. Um, the, uh, uh, the sign of a gerrymander are these odd configurations to districts yeah. to purposely get particular voters in a district yeah if we cut this off if we are out of a district if we if we redraw the lines and we make it the 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 you know in iowa it's easy because Iowa's a, a rectangle and you well, can just iowa of... had problems drawing their maps and in 1960 they created a nonpartisan commission um of demographers professionals and that commission draws the maps for the state of Iowa, and then the state legislature votes to accept them. Sure. Iowa, though, nice rectangle. A little bit Look, easier, probably. You can gerrymander a box if you want. <laughs> the, the but, ge- the, 
but the geography saying, of the state, I don't think, is the, the, the contributing factor. Right. Where people live, well, the geography determines where people live. But what live. I'm saying is when you look at Iowa's lines, it is a rectangle, and the lines are pretty pretty square, right? Like each each district, it makes a little bit more sense. If you did that, the Wisconsin would be harder because obviously Madison's a lot a lot of population there. Well, that's the danger. There. That's the problem in Wisconsin. Democratic constituencies are concentrated in two large cities. Yeah. Madison's uh, population growth increased by 15% this decade. They're going to get uh, an, uh, another uh, state legislative district. Um, I don't know how that will impact the state Senate. Um, but uh, how will uh, 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 new lines have to be drawn to accommodate that increased in, in population? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I don't know if our more dramatically rural, predominantly northern uh, territories, have they actually lost population? Have they just, sometimes just maintaining the population uh, 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 numbers that you had a decade ago when other areas are growing? Well, all right, other areas need more representation. Sure. Yeah, it just it, it creates a little bit of a conundrum for drawing the lines when a lot of the population is, you know, in those in those couple of spots and then the rest of the state because you have to even out the populations in each district right there's kind of a math to it there in that regard right well my area of, of research has predominantly been european politics and in many european democracies for their at least for their lower legislative houses they don't draw district lines they take the percentages of the popular vote for a party and then they have a list of candidates and they call that proportional representation based upon what proportion of the total vote does a political party get. Mm-hmm. Of course, the two major parties aren't going to be real interested in that one <laughs> because no. uh, then uh, third parties are going to have a, uh, a, 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 more, oppor- a more opportunity to gain representation. Um, and uh, uh, that tying representation to geography can be a very conservative that, that that's you know a dangerous word to use but it can conserve the status quo to a great extent what's more important numbers of human beings or geography of the land mm-hmm. the european proportional representation system numbers of voters how how many people are supporting this party here in our uh system geography becomes very significant in determining representation and gerrymandering then is uh, readily uh, available uh, with this geography based representation it's pretty much why we have a two-party system is as well as the electoral college and we're going to go to break in a minute here but is the way that we do it here you you know you say you're they're doing it different is the way we do it here very unique is are other places doing it similar to the way we're doing it when i uh, taught uh, american government uh, on occasion i haven't used this book for a while i uh, used a book entitled america the unusual <laughs> um because our system is one of the most unusual on the planet it's of course the oldest continuously operating written constitution mm-hmm. um that exists the british uh, don't have a written constitution uh, so it's a collection of various things. Uh, Iceland has an old legislature, but our system is old and uh, in many respects fit the time for when it was written. And uh, I think there's a strong argument to be made that 
uh, amending, adjusting our constitutional apparatus for this representation thing um, uh, would be uh, uh, quite advisable. Yeah, the uh, and we haven't even got into the Electoral College, which I was arguing the other day. It's like, we don't do the Electoral College in each state, which would be interesting. Like, why, you know? Well, of course, the Electoral College is premised upon each individual state. Right. But in, like, within Wisconsin, would we vote for governor through an Electoral College? Like, no, each, we, you know what I mean? Course, like, we don't do that. Of course, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, we determine the, the governorship by a popular vote. Right. That's what I'm saying. But we don't do that. A direct vote. But we don't do electoral, electoral college anywhere college else. The electoral college was a, 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 a kind of a protection device the founders wrote into the Constitution because they were a little bit suspicious, even of the you know 20% of the free white men who could vote in the uh, 18th century. Mm-hmm. All right, that's Dr. Keith Knutson, Viterbo Political Science Professor. we got to take a break. Brad doing the news. Before that, Scott's comment. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the Talk PM. Dr. Keith Knutson, Viterbo University Political Science Professor in here with me. We're uh, off the air talking about the Vietnam War and what aircraft carrier was on. I was like... I wonder, I got to text my mom because I can never remember, but my dad was on it. It'd be funny if you were both on the same aircraft carrier, but would you have gotten down to the boiler room? Because that's where my dad would have been. <laughs> I was in a couple of boiler rooms. Uh, you, you were kind of, you were, were you a journalist, a naval journal? I don't know I, if that's. I, I, w- I was a journalist. Yes. Okay. So you could have wrote about the, uh, how tough it was to, uh, work in the boiler room in the aircraft carrier. I think that's where my dad was. I could have this all wrong. Uh, oh too. my goodness. Um, uh, well, I was in the, uh, on the USS Oriskany CV-834 in 1973 when the armistice was signed, um, ending the Vietnam War. So it gets us to one of your listeners' uh, uh, message. Yeah, Libertarian guy uh, texted in. I'll read the text here. Does uh, Professor Knudsen have a perspective to offer? Uh, I'll try to decipher his talk to text. On President Biden, Biden turning Afghanistan back over to the Taliban after 20 years of war, loss of life, disabled Americans, blood, and treasure loss. The treasure loss is kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, oh, well, just... we, we spent a lot of money on our uh, 20 years in Afghanistan. So, yeah, there was okay, a lot our... of treasure, a lot of lives lost. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not an advocate of uh, thinking about history repeating itself, but sometimes there are mistakes made. And I get to teach a class on the Vietnam War, uh, interestingly enough, even uh, now that I... Uh, I was uh, uh, in, in it. Um, the, that war was ill-advised, and so was, uh, in my estimation, the Afghan and the Iraq invasion. And so, um, the 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 bargain that uh, President Biden is currently implementing was negotiated by the previous President Trump, um, and uh, Biden himself has uh, some degree of responsibility uh, in a deep history. He was in the Congress when. Uh, the decision was made to uh, uh, support the Afghan uh, attack. He was vice president for eight years under uh, Barack Obama, um, and uh, they took some flack for uh, getting us out of Iraq, uh, getting out of these wars where we have lost uh, treasure, yes, but human life. Um, uh, It's not to disregard that loss of human life, but political leaders um, make the decision that we're going to go to war and political leaders can make uh, serious mistakes on these wars in my estimation. And we have some rather recent experience with that. This story just today is essentially 
Biden sending 3,000 troops to Afghanistan to help partially evacuate the U.S. embassy. So he's got a deadline of August 31st to get troops out of Afghanistan. So it's going to be like sending 3,000 troops over there. Uh, you got I heard what, on 17, the radio coming days. in that uh, their mission is uh, for a month. Um, and uh, uh, yes, this is not to help the Afghan army, uh, the army that we've been trying to build for 20 years. Uh, the Taliban are running through them, um, uh, rather lickety split, I think it might be said uh, at this moment. Um, and what has this uh, investment of treasure and blood uh, provided for Afghanistan? Uh, all of the people who may be uh, negatively impacted in Afghanistan from a Taliban takeover. Um, uh, I remember hearing a news story of a summary execution of a man and a woman who were charged with uh, um, sexual transgressions, um, and they were stoned to death. Uh, I don't know what the Taliban are going to do this time around if they get control of that country. Um, their history is not a pretty one. But 20 years of us trying to construct a, a different kind of government, we've not been successful. Um, um, uh, yeah, we haven't been successful. And getting out after 20 years seems like well, President Trump was trying to do it, and uh, how difficult is it? He was in office four years and didn't quite get that done, and now this president is getting it done. Um, and let's hope that the Taliban will not behave in a manner that they did back in the 1990s. Um, is it? It's interesting, you know, and we talked about this before the show. We we get out, it's not long before the Taliban is is coming back already, so were we even effective over there at beating down the Taliban, or were we just holding them off, so to speak? It seems that we've held them off for 20 years. Right. Uh, and uh, Holding them off uh, as opposed to eliminating the, you know, them. Well, boy, elimination's a pretty tall order. You want to talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, you know, we've got uh, a historical uh, experience of having eliminated, uh, what, 100,000 people with one bomb or something along those lines. Um so My, uh, there, there's, there's that opportunity as, as well. Well, there, there, we, we, we did that once. Right. It ended World War II. But we, we, have, we have experience with the human tragedy of war. Yeah. Um, experience. My mom texted in, uh, CVA-19 USS Hancock. I oh, don't know yeah. If uh, you know, the, uh, I was on the Oriskany, and those two uh, aircraft carriers were both built at the end of World War II. They were mainstays of the fleet during the Korean War. You know, kind of the first war after World War II that, that sets the trend. What are we doing in a war? What are our objectives? Why are we spending treasure? Why are we losing blood? How do we uh, determine whether a war has been successful or not? It's been very complex since World War II. Um, and, and different objective in World War II, unconditional surrender. My mom also texts in, no more old jokes. Being an old lady, I don't like it. So sorry both to both of you, old jokes. The old, it's your birthday next week, so I feel, I feel like you brought it upon yourself telling um, everyone how old I, I, you're going to be. I'm in uh, uh, brotherhood, sisterhood with your mother, Rick, <laughs> if uh, we're similar in age. Um, and hats off to her. Uh, she, she deals with you on a regular basis, right? right? She must be a very patient woman. And uh, it's her birthday in, in, uh, the, on the 26th. So. Happy birthday. <laughs> of, of, of September? Uh, I, August, August. August. Oh. Um, my birthday next week. Uh, totally libertarian guy texts in. Totally agree with Professor Knutson. Our political class gets us into wars that they very ill that are very ill advised. 
libertarians prefer defensive military as, as opposed to offensive military. Um, and then he continues, my perspective exactly. Uh, Republicans and Democrats should stop getting us into wars. What if we just called all the troops back from everywhere and just put a, essentially like a, a big wall up around the U.S.? A couple of years ago when uh, Viterbo could host uh, live events, the United States, oh, one of the military units, uh, jazz band, came to Viterbo. The officer in charge at intermission told us that we have a military presence in 148 countries. Um, uh, after World War II, we took on a global role um, uh, and uh, espoused uh, global human rights and this sort of thing. Um, sometimes, uh, well, I, you know, President George W. Bush, before Afghanistan and Iraq, said, well, sometimes to maintain the peace, you've got to fight war. Uh, that's World War II, I think. Um, uh, there would be little debate about it. The wars we fought since since then are much more debatable. Where does our national interest lie? Um, that you know, I, I was critical of uh, the political leaders. Their job is to make that determination. And then, uh, you know, we haven't declared war since uh, December eighth, nineteen forty one. But the Congress passes resolutions. With the exception of Korea, uh, President Truman took a, a UN resolution uh, as a legitimate cover to engage in the Korean War. Um, so these are difficult political issues for us. Yeah, we were, you, you mentioned Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Another thing we were talking about before the show, uh, we, we, this is a weird, we didn't, we celebrate, we didn't celebrate, but we, the, the anniversary of the, those bombings, August 6th and August 9th of 1945, obviously just happened, uh, you know, just a couple of days ago. In, in, in that, I was reading just kind of, you know, why did we bomb Hiroshima? And then also that, that like, that wasn't enough, that this giant thing that nobody's even, like, you know, no concept of this bomb before. And then three days later, we used it again. And just the, the scope of that and how, just how strange it must have been to live through that and, and understand, you know, we don't, ha- we didn't have the media we do now, the, the ability to read and see everything that happened. But, man, it's just, it, it would be hard to, yeah. to understand that back well, then. Well, of course, that was a war that began with a Japanese sneak attack on our own military base at Pearl Harbor. Um, so there was a, a direct attack on the United States. And those two bombs ended the war immediately. We had also firebombed Tokyo, and I think we actually killed more people firebombing Tokyo than we did in either of the two nuclear drops. Um, uh, and, of course, that there had been a race with the Nazis to get the nuclear weapon. Um, uh, and so uh, we kind of showed the world we'd gotten it. The Nazis, the, the war in Europe was, all, of course, already over. Um, and uh, thankfully, uh, we've not had any occasion to use it again. Uh, there was actually discussion on occasion. Um, uh, I remember uh, reading about President Eisenhower telling his own military advisors that they wanted to use a nuclear bomb to support the French in Vietnam back in 1954. Um, they were just thinking out of their minds. We'd already used two of these kinds of weapons on uh, Asian peoples. And would we do that again? And, of course, this is one of the moral questions and ethical dilemmas that face us as Americans. We are an armed nuclear power. Uh, what do we want to do with this nuclear arsenal? What's the point? How much? Uh, uh, your listeners will know that a president I supported, Barack Obama, uh, signed uh, legislation that pumped a trillion dollars into modernizing the 
our nuclear uh, force, our arsenal. Um, we've gotten into the uh, mode of uh, thinking we need this arsenal for our protection. Okay, we do, but how could we possibly use it again? Yeah, it's like uh, if you have it and I have it, then we both of us won't use it. Obviously. Anyway, I got to take a quick break. We'll be All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. A couple minutes left here. Dr. Keith Knutson in with me. I, I traded one political science professor for another as uh, Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political science professor, is on vacation in North Carolina. They finally get out to the ocean, and then his wife gets stung by a jellyfish. Uh, but Chagoski said they're they're doing okay. So, and she and she said she's going once she's better, she's going right back out into the ocean. So she doesn't even learn her lesson. She, she's a brave brave soul. Um, I I just want to bring up Ron Johnson a little bit. He the uh, there's always a story about Ron Johnson. He seems to take he wants and maybe he should. He, he wants to have an opinion on every seemingly every big topic that's that's going on and as a as a politician you know they're they're they should probably you know know what's going on but man he's very contentious and uh do you does the strategy that he has does it point to him rerunning in next year is he going to run again for senate or does the strategy he has you think is he's just going out in a ball of fire uh, I have no idea. Um, I think he's taken a page from uh, former President Trump, um, just being in the news and uh, garnering attention, mm-hmm. no matter what the topic, is the objective. Um, uh, Ron John, uh, Johnson, uh, twice elected um, incumbent, still hasn't decided if he's going to run for re-election. Um, I, th- I think uh, there might be some element of uh, struggle within the man's own uh, sense of uh, what's he doing here. We're a year and a couple of months out from that. Is in in your in the history of just like when we decide we're going to do that or not. Obviously, Ron Kind has just said he's not. Is this about the time you would you would tell uh, the public that you're what you're going to do because you need about a year to to prepare or or. You, you know, you talk about studying European politics. There's a there are rules against this right over there that you can only campaign in a certain window, right? Is that sure? But uh, uh, of course, people are jockeying for position and trying to run for an office in Europe, just as people are doing it here. What are the constraints of the system under which they're operating? Um, yeah, this is the time um, to announce you're not going to run. Um, uh, one of the last times I was in the studio, I think, was uh, Jen Schilling announcing. Uh, she was not going to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you asked me who was going to uh, run in her place. And um, uh, I had no idea. I mentioned a couple names. Neither one of them did. Uh, up comes Brad Paff, and he wins that seat, the close race against uh, Dan Kopanke. Um I think the second time uh, Dan Kopanke lost that seat, maybe even the third. Um, uh, uh, no, Kopanke had won the seat, of course, one time. Um, uh, so now the Democrats will be going through a process of uh, people announcing already some young person has announced uh, he or she is going to Brett take it on. Um, Brett Knudsen is announced. Um, so he, so he the Democrats, me. I think, have time to come up with a candidate. Yeah, well, but that's Congress. So Senate, we have like seven or eight running for right. Senate against right. Ron Johnson. Do you expect seven or eight people to, to run in Ron Kine's seat as, for, for the Democrats? Oh, I, I think I would be surprised at that number. Um, 
You would yeah. seven or eight. You, I, I think you know. You know that's uh, low or high. <laughs> well, seven or eight uh, Democrats uh, interested in running for what they see as a prime opportunity to win a Senate seat. No, a Congress seat in Ron. No, I'm talking the Senate. Oh now. yeah, okay. No, uh, seven or eight there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how many people uh, would like to run in the third congressional district? We've already talked about how um, this is a swing district, so it's going to be. Uh, a challenge to raise money. Uh, what kind of uh, political figure is the person going to be? Ron Kind, a centrist, uh, quite successful or a, for a quarter of a century. Is that the kind of person uh, the Democrats need to come up with uh, to, to win this seat? Uh, that's, of course, what announcements and then a primary election are going to be about. Being a political science professor, the idea that, uh, it, it, do you explore the idea often that Somebody like Ron Kind is is too old school now. We don't like people down the middle. We want somebody like Derek Van Orden who's going to go way to the right or, you know, somebody like, I'll just say Bernie Sanders who goes way to the left. Uh, Is that becoming more popular or do you think somebody down the middle, do you think most of the public still likes that person that's more more in tune to Ron Kind? Our our politics today is very divided, so there are very few people who are playing to the center of our political spectrum. In this area, Ron Kind, Steve Doyle uh, is quite uh, renowned for that. Brad Paff um, is uh, talking about that, relatively new, but he's reached out across the aisle. Uh, one of our uh, elected representatives, Jill Billings in La Crosse, lives in a predominantly Democratic district. She reaches out to Republicans, but she's got a, a, a base of voters that's a little bit different. So. Um, you know, how much are these elected representatives going to um, only represent the interests of their uh, voters in their district? And what's the margin of their victories helps uh, set it out. But for us in western Wisconsin, I think we can be proud that we get these elected uh, representatives who do uh, play to the middle. It's uh, an indication of the, in my view, the good sensibilities right. uh, that people around here bring to uh, the discussion. Do you think we're so different, or do you think that... We're better, Rick. We are, come on, different. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, yeah, it's very different. We're, we're better, better, of course. We're just better. Um, it's the makeup of the district. Yeah. Oh, who are the human beings in the district? Um, are they? Is their demography going to be such that it'll be a predominantly Republican or Democratic district? This one is pretty uh, evenly split. Yeah, it'd be nice if uh, would it almost would it be nice if all the districts were kind of like that, and you had to play down the middle, or would just nothing get done? Well, that's the problem with gerrymandering. Right, we go back to gerrymandering. Well, I understand it, that, it, it, but it, but if all the districts were down the middle and you had to kind of work together, would nothing get done, or would everything get done? No, I think if districts are um, uh, more evenly divided, um, the proof is in our pudding, kind and Doyle. Um, they're playing to the middle, and they're representing the construction of the, the the people in their district they they don't uh i don't i don't think van orden has such a great shot myself i just think he's he was at the capitol on january 6th he's uh, you know uh, apparently an insurrectionist supporter um donald trump has endorsed him i think we're seeing that donald trump uh, in his four years in the presidency never got over 50 percent approval uh these men are playing to what i see as a uh minority, a pretty significant minority, maybe 40% of the population, and then others are going to follow along. Um, I think the Democrats in this district can come up with a, 
uh, a candidate in the tradition of, of kind, in the tradition, not like kind, of course, um, and Democrats have a, uh, a good shot in this district because of the makeup of the people in this district. I would say the, the they, they might play down the middle, but nothing seems to, not a lot seems to be getting done in Madison just because, and we only have a minute, but just because. Well, Rick, we, the, when we talk about gerrymandering, else. how many Republicans are in the uh, Assembly? 66 compared yeah. to 30-some Democrats. How many uh, Republicans in the state Senate? Uh, well, not getting much done. The Republicans, yeah. especially now with uh, Evers in the governorship, uh, the Republicans can't move through legislation like they could with Governor Walker. Uh, the Democrats have to work as a pretty significant minority uh, party uh, in our legislative system. And that's very uh, not only because of gerrymandering, but uh, gerrymandering has established districts that allow the Republicans to stay in power for a decade. All right, literally... 40 seconds. Do you have now Joe Hine was in here the other day and he said, Joe Billings, Steve Doyle, he just gave me the not Brad Path because he's too new. Do you have like a top two or three that would run in Ron Kine's seat uh, as you? Yeah. Well, when Schilling uh, resigned, I brought up both Billings and, and Doyle. Um, uh, they declined there. Um, uh, I, I don't know these representatives minds and in my estimation, they're doing good work uh, where they are. So, uh, uh, who knows who this will be? That's that's one of the beauties of our system that when a when a spot is open, we can get um, uh, someone who's not been necessarily uh, predominantly uh, in the public face. All right, that's Dr. Keith Knutson, Viterbo political science professor. Thanks a lot for coming in. Have a good weekend, everybody.